the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Hello and welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined today by Paul Gosling. Hi, Jared. So, Paul, this is the second of our review podcasts. Um, we held, as we know, a panel discussion on the 18th of September as part of Good Relations Week. Um, and we looked at our four themes. So this one is looking at which of the themes? It was how do we create a more shared and integrated society? And I have to say, Gerard, when we started out, I expected that everyone would talk about integrated education, mm. whereas actually the, the discussion was much more wide-ranging than that and didn't particularly focus on integrated education. But anyway, we'll, yeah. listeners will hear that yeah. we actually, in the panel discussion again, we also had a, a broad and wide-ranging conversation. Yeah, we did. And what, people, what you're going to hear right now is a selection of snippets from a few of the interviews that we held as part of the podcast and that will be immediately followed by the panel discussion um, and our panel on the day was made up of Paul Gosling um, Julianne Campbell from the Museum of Free Dairy Maureen Hetherington from The Junction and Dennis Bradley Is that really what's right? Is that really what our job is? You know, is, is, I, I would like to think I'm a very realistic and practical politician, and I very much see my job is about improving public services for the people of Northern Ireland. And I think sometimes the, the higher level stuff gets in the way when really it doesn't affect people on a day to day. I think that integration in education, you know, both male and female and, and on uh, regardless of one's religion, to me that's a fundamental issue. And I, I, you know, I think that as you continue or if you continue to have separate schools for separate religions, I don't think that's a good thing personally. I, don't, I, you know, I, I think that integration means that you, you go to the same school. My view is always that, you know, you go to the school that's nearest to you. One of the things that came through very clearly was that people were saying like, this is not, yes it's 20 years and wouldn't you love to be further on and maybe we should be further on, but this is a long, 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 long process here. And, you know, I think we probably hadn't taken collectively the time to sort of sit back and say, you know, this is a 50 year job probably here. And nobody wants to hear that it's a 50 year job, but that, that's maybe at the, that's at the, the end of maybe of the scale here. So this is a long term job. I don't think that we, I don't think that we, we probably did do enough to um, prioritise it politically. I, th I have no doubt in my head that integrated education, absolutely fundamental to getting people to know each other, to engage with each other. Um, the difficulty there is that we don't have the, the integrated society, so you absolutely need to start the social housing. That has to be cross-community um, and it has to be mixed. Uh, and the other thing that I think that we could highlight is the cost of segregation. You know, see when we're getting down to bread and butter issues, you go out and you talk to the majority of people out there, you know, engage in civic society, 
bread and butter issues. They want the best for their children. They want the best for their family. They want to just keep surviving. You know, they want some sort of a quality of life. Uh, and it's this cost of segregation. If we can highlight that and people realise that, you know, if we can actually look at that and then redistribute the monies elsewhere where it's really, really needed, I think that people would be up for a more integrated society. We do need a proper uh, system of political governance. Um, and I think that that system of governance needs to be um, rooted um, uh, within a human rights framework. I think if we believe in democracy and we believe in creating a democracy, I think that all genuine democracies throughout the world uh, should be rooted within a human rights framework. And I think it'd be, you know, we need to construct that. I, I believe that, you know, there, that construction was, to all intents and purposes, uh, in my view, uh, contained and enshrined within the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, I think that the infrastructure is there. Um, the problem is, uh, to all intents and purposes, it just hasn't been uh, implemented and delivered. So I think that, you know, given the effort um, um, that went into um, bringing about um, all that was contained within the Good Friday Agreement, that if that was being implemented, um, I think it that would be one way of obviously strengthening civil society. Unfortunately, and I talked about it at the beginning, um, about the failure of governance uh, that gave rise to the conflict, um, if we look at the situation where we are today, uh, we have a situation that um, if people had implemented uh, what was in uh, the Good Friday Agreement in terms of a Bill of Rights, about addressing the issues of inequality uh, in terms of um, economic investment, um, targeting uh, the most marginalised communities within our societies, um, be they within working class communities, be the loyalist, be the Republican, be the nationalist, be, be uh, unionist, I think that we could have actually uh, seen greater movement. Okay, there's a few issues there. There's a few others that, that weren't reflected in the conversation. So about the cause of segregation, 50 years on, or 50 year peace process, who's benefited from it? There's talk of the peace dividends and things like that. Um, and the fact that this place has changed and how we define ourselves just doesn't fall on the Protestant category anymore. Maureen, it's going to use first on this one, because uh, you're, you're very strong on it there in your comment. There's a need to integrate here. Someone else suggested uh, a department for integration as a possible solution um, for, or as a way forward, or just highlight the cost as you were talking about. Yeah, I suppose, you know, Sometimes you're talking around the houses because this is what a lot of people do talk about. Um, first and foremost, the need for integrated education. Uh, but while we have the politicians that we have in power and while we have the churches the way that the churches are, that's never going to happen. Um, I suppose I want to say something that I think is really important and that and something about the marginalization, Julie, that you know you know a woman. Um, if we want to work through an integrated towards an integrated society. You know, peace starts with children and, you know, the carers of children. You know, from a baby is about 15 months old or even younger than that, they start to, uh, 
you know, they can relate to the distress of another baby. Um, and what I'm trying to say is that, you know, empathy is a, is a huge thing in how we see uh, compassion in others. So if we want an integrated society, empathy is important. Um, what I want to get to is that the role of women have by and large been responsible for the upbringing of children from the wage. Uh, and they're the ones that have to take the children that end up going into the segregated schooling systems. Um, women aren't paid, that's just what women do, you know, and there's no recognition. And I think that there's, you know, you talked earlier about the structures and systems. We have got to see women differently. The roles that they do, that at a very young age, they, uh, children, um, are going to be the role models. Uh, I think we're, we're, we've lost a generation almost, but, you know, if we are going to have any hope, that we have to start from the newborn. Uh, how prejudice is built in from a child is too onward, I think it was Paul Nolan with the research. Um, and the absolute need to start building empathy within children. And, and that doesn't happen a lot because of the way that the segregation works, the role of women, the stress of women, um, the way that women are viewed, they're still not given equality or, or human rights in a lot of cases. So we have to uh, reconstruct the structures and systems that are barriers to the main caregivers. Does that make sense? You know that you know for because if we're going to work truly towards an integrated uh, society, we need to start from the children upwards. Because if we can affect change through the parents and how they work with the children, we have a hope. Otherwise, we're always ignoring the wishes. Well, it's not on the, the clock there, but one of the things they've got a lot of coverage and a lot of reaction to the podcast where we it was Andrew McCracken, and he talked about marginalisation and class. He says, look, this is as much a class conflict as it is a religious thing. It's not just about sectarianism, it's about the haves and the have-nots. Um, yeah, a lot of people didn't agree with him as well, right. but I mean, Andrew, Andrew is very clear. I mean, and I, I, I would personally share his analysis, which is that the one of the, in a sense, the biggest division we have in terms of uh, what happens to the rest of your life is about which school you went to. And that's actually less about the religion of the school and more about whether it's selective or non-selective. And essentially, the kids that go to the grammar schools are most likely to be from affluent families, and the kids that go to the non-selective schools are most likely to be the least, uh, the, with the lowest income in the household. And that is something that feeds through into lots of challenges uh, going further through society, through their lives. And we need to recall that the, the Life and Time Survey 2018 found that 50%, half the adult population regards itself as being neither unionist nor nationalist. So you've got 30% that say this, about 30% say they're nationalist, about 20%, sorry, about 30% say they're unionist, about 20% say they're nationalist, 50% say they're neither nationalist nor unionist. And this goes back to this point that Maureen raised, which is that we've got a party political system that no longer represents the way people see themselves. And that is a, a real challenge. And again, the other point Maureen's raised, which got a lot of leverage in terms of the responses, is the fact that it sounds a bit grim to say it, or a bit uh, superficial to say it, but actually money matters. And the fact that we're wasting, I, when I interviewed Naomi uh, Long, she said, 
The Alliance Party works on the figures of between £750 million a year and £1.5 billion a year is spent on the segregation of service delivery. So basically, we're wasting between £750 million to £1.5 billion a year by segregating and creating division between our kids and through society. And what a waste of money. If you want to have a decent university system here, if you want to have an improved national health service, if you want to not have waiting times and waiting lists, then actually the solution to that is to deal with the cost of division within our society. And the other point which we is important to touch on, yeah, Peter Sheridan said he thinks we should have a Department for Reconciliation when we move forward, and Martin McGill, Father Martin McGill said, he feels we should have an integration agency. So both of them are saying we should have a structural approach to how we get people to work together and to live together. Yeah, and that's also something that Peter Osborne said. Peter Osborne said that uh, we should have a Bengoa review of schooling in the same way we have with the National Health Service to look about how you rationalise service provision. And of course, the, the point which he made, which is also used, I think, in one of recent BBC documentaries, is that on one part of the North Coast, within two miles, you have four primary schools, each of which basically got a few dozen kids in, you know, and you're just wasting so much money through that separation. And, the, you know, the privilege that you would think that, you know, your, your kids should only go to school with kids that are really similar to them. Well, that's not the way to have society. You know, we need to have, we need to, to recognise diversity and enjoy diversity and encourage diversity, not separation. Um, during, I work in a museum and people from all over the world are constantly shocked and I think appalled that we still have segregated education and I think people don't know it until they visit and then they go seriously you have separate schools and even though everything has moved on so well in recent years I think that will always hold us back and again I can't see how we're going to change it unless you change everything that goes along with that but it's an eye opener to other people you know that yeah. We're so stuck in the past in that respect. Yeah. I would love integrated school. I would think it would be so a lot of hassle. I'm from childhood up from early, early education. Yeah. Yes, uh, one of our other uh, contributors, Peter Osborne, who at the time was chair of the CRC, said part of the challenge when you come to uh, sharing integrated education is that there isn't actually a proper buy in for it. They, and they talk about housing figures where it was only 1% of the planned housing in the future was to be shared. Um, but he also said there's a failure to act on the laws that are currently there and in particular he talked about flags, he talked about care stones and you know that the marking of areas and I know they're huge issues but what do we do there? It, it, as I said simply it's a matter of saying okay we now start policing where we're meant to be policing or do it as the, the softly softly approach because it seems that there's greater division now as it, uh, in the last few years than there has been like 20, 25 years ago. What are you doing? That's the easy one. No preparation. That's what I've been sitting here looking at that board saying there's so much in that that's so diverse that it's yeah. how the hell do you gather it up? Uh, and <laughs> you, ju you, just, you just, <laughs> just complicated it even further, yeah. Jared. Um, yeah. There's something wrong in this whole area and I think if you were to put one, kind of grab the, the most 
wrong thing in it, of course, is our parents. Uh, you can, I tell the story that I have been terrified. There are two things in my life that have terrified me. One is the face muller, dairy face muller, and the second is school parents because they are ruthless around their children and they are blind around their children. Uh, this, this conversation gets nowhere because at the end of the day, I want to send my child to the most exclusive, best fee, get, you know, the best result getting thing, right? And the minute the politician begins to walk into that territory, he gets scraped, he or she gets scraped. Uh, and that just is a fact of life. And it's funny enough, it's probably more visible in areas that are more politically destabilized than it is anywhere else, because in a very settled society, political society, there's less fear that, you know, that the advantages uh, will get you or not get you there. But the truth of the matter is, if you go to Dublin, having said that, you go to Dublin, you know, the Black Rock and all the rest of the places, the rugby schools are the rugby schools. You try to take them away, and who are the people who are the problems? Not the politicians, it's the parents are the problem. Anyway, I think it's a very, very difficult one to solve. Having said all of that, it's an absolute disgrace that we're wasting a billion pounds. Absolute disgrace. And the way to solve that is pull the billion pound out. Right? Then you will solve it. We will solve it in some fashion or other. That's about the only way it's ever going to happen. It's not going to happen by pleading for it or arguing for it or debating it or any other guy. You pull the billion pound out. And I heard a little bit of your conversation this morning, Paul. I didn't hear you so much, but I heard a little bit of the conversation about the, the new report out from John Fitzgerald and so forth, which sounded headlines are very depressing and so forth, right? But it's not a bit depressing in other ways. But what is depressing is, is Chris and Jim Seek talking in a fashion which kind of says, oh, we're poor people and we need eight billion pound a year. Otherwise, you know, we need the eight billion pound a year. There is very little energy within this community that says, that's kind of, we're downgrading ourselves, we're making ourselves beggars, we're making ourselves, you know, there's very little which says, why don't we create the economic resilience which actually allows us to do our thing. There's very little self-worth within that type of argument. Um, education is not, in my opinion, going to change all of that. It's going to take a bit of education plus a whole lot of other, other aspects. It does strike me, one of the things that I said in that, and which kind of shocked me, was that uh, our education system in the South was almost better than our education system in the North. And I thought, oh, I thought we were the, I thought we were the top of the pack in this one, right? And yet that's it. And then I inquired to someone this morning and said, yeah, you know, your grammar schools are grand and so forth, and your primary education is fine and so forth. Your technical colleges are pretty awful. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. That's the first anybody's ever said that to me. And if that be true, then that's quite disgraceful in this day and age, when in fact that's where a lot of our children from poorer areas are going to. And that's where they're kind of out, wherever they're trying to get out of uh, gives them a gives them a gate out, and if we're not, if we haven't been putting the money and the and the efforts in there, then that's part of the problem. But all of that is so big, is so huge. But in some ways, it is part of the debate that needs to take place, and it's about economics and it's about politics 
and it's about those long term. Paul has been very positive in the sense that, you know, you've started a process of bringing actual reports out on this and other people are following through and so forth and people are beginning to debate it and all of that needs to happen as part of it. And of course, the big warning in this is that if you just let us, if we just keep drifting without actually finding where we integrate these discussions and these reports and these knowledges that we have before we actually get into the real hard political debate, which is how do we divvy this island up politically? How do we come to an agreement within this island? Um, then you know we could run into trouble unless we do all that pre pre work. Having said all of that, going back to my optimistic bit, I think we will sort ourselves out on this island. I think the place that's not going to sort itself out for another fifteen twenty years is England. I think the division lines, which were never really in England, are now in England. And I think that they are going to have great difficulty sorting, sorting all of that out. I think in the meantime, we will get through the worst of what we have to get through into a place where we're being forced to discuss it. Because in some ways, we're post-troubles. They haven't even entered their troubles yet, in my opinion. I don't know if that be true or not, but that's a feeling in the sense that I'm getting. But all of that is so complex. And I can only respond to it in such an you know, overarching way. I think all of us have a problem across Western society about dealing with the increasing division that we have. And the type of division that we've got accustomed to in Northern Ireland is now surfacing around different issues in lots of different countries, whether you talk about the United States or England or Scotland. You've got those divisions. But to put a bit of context into what Dennis was saying about this latest report, it's from John Fitzgerald and Professor Morgan Ruth of Trinity College in, in Dublin. And what it's saying is, firstly, Northern Ireland's economy is very, very weak and it has very low productivity, which is exactly all the reports I've been writing been saying as well. And it's very clear about the causes. The fundamental cause for this weak economy and low productivity is our education system. And the education system fails on a sequence of different levels. Firstly, because we got a division between grammar schools and non-selective schools. And half the kids that go to grammar schools that then go on to university do so elsewhere, and most of them don't come back. So we lose the top layer, if you like, the, most, the highest performers. So the grammar schools produce very high exam results but actually we don't get the economic benefits of that. Then the non-selective schools, you get a large chunk, in particular working class boys, who stop going to school regularly at about the age of 14. They leave school without basic skills, they aren't employable, and that leads into very low levels of economic activity, high levels of people not going to work, and that leads to very low productivity. And you add to that problem the fact that our technical colleges don't provide the vocational skills that employers need. So basically, it's a fail, fail, fail system, really. Yeah, Dennis, just to could we just go back to the education question. I hear what you're saying about parents. I just wonder though, I think the stakes are so high, they're so high, that I don't think actually we can afford to just say that it's very difficult with parents and there's also arguments about, you know, these type of schools were important historically and so on, we need to honour the cultural uh, presence of them. I, I just think we can't afford that anymore. 
because what happens, even now, when we're talking about 93% being educated at work, it's not as bad as when I was at school, St Mary's Boys, St Mary's Boys Youth Clubs, and Bodleys, you know. And you're kept apart for 14 years. And then, you know, that goes some, that goes empty and some. Sure. And then you're thinking, you know, so, some part of you is thinking, why was that? Why was that? And then you're ready to respond if, if a Protestant person you meet, it's okay, you can read the memo there now. Uh, you're ready to respond badly, you know. And my experience with anything I learned about Protestants, I learned about Christmas. Mm. And, and also about women too, because we were educated with the young boys. And I'm not just making a phrase or anything I learned about them, I learned about Christmas. It's not as bad now. But still, if 93% are being kept apart for 14 years, that's going into those youngsters, even though we're more diverse and so on. So I think maybe we need to be a wee bit less tolerant of the arguments that say, no, no, we need to handle the rest of the same Can I jump on that as well? This is very much sort of an outsider perspective, but it's interesting because it seems like the conversation around integration is around depoliticizing. Um, and I don't think that integration, like change never happens unless it's really political. So you talk about an, a, a group of people that identifies, I forgot the statistic was, as neither one side or the other. That needs to form into a politicized movement. If you think about the 1960s in America, when you were integrating those schools, people were risking their children for something that they believed. They weren't doing it because somebody had been depoliticized. They were doing it because they were highly political. So I think that integration has to be a political movement that that is is joined by both sides. And you think it's like, I mean, it's wonderful, because I've been here kind of on a troubles-related project. So on one level, I'm looking at social division all the time. The first time that I saw people coming together truly was when I was at these abortion marches, because there is something that's politicized, but it's politicized with both parties. So I feel like that's that's the solution to integration, is to politicize it. Morning. Our last comment on this thing. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> let, let me say this. Is, sorry, my dear. Two of my children went into grade schools. I think your point is a very valid point. I think they're not politicized enough. Right? My children would have said we didn't tackle the big issues. We were too polite. That was their difficulty. In some ways, they're a bit like integrated schools in Northern Ireland, if they're imposed, are a little bit like putting sand, you know, you know the way people construct beaches? They bring the sand from elsewhere. They're not natural beaches. I think that when you take the million pound out and you have to go to your nearest school and there's a kind of a equality right, right along because that's where the economics sit and that's where the politics sit, then that's integrated. It's not Catholic, it's not Protestant, it's not middle, it's not thingy. I still think even within that, and I'm quite sure it's the same in the States, that parents will still interfere with that process because they'll create their own fee, fee whatever you call them, independent schools, and they'll do the same to some degree with universities. Uh, it's a hard situation, but within Ireland, I think that the real situation is not so much. I think that the thing that integrated schooling here does, it, it imposes it as an alternative, but not a highly political alternative, which says we're really here to bring you to an end. Uh, and because the politics are not quite behind it, and therefore within it, they're careful because they don't want to offend too many people. 
And that's what my children told me. They didn't I mean they, they, they came home from school very one day were very annoyed because somebody had written all kinds of graffiti in the school. And they said, I kept asking for the next week, was this discussed? And it wasn't discussed. And I don't want to be putting anybody's thing down, but one of my sons used to say, Oh no, we don't go to the degree school, we go to the lion school. <laughs> right? Uh, and then what he was really saying to me was, we do not tackle this problem. And the real problem, of course, is the border problem. In the sense that we're still living that history, and we still live it in a whole lot of different ways, and we still live it either you know, respectfully and we're nice to each other, or we, we, we kill each other, by one or the other, but we don't really politicize it in the proper fashion. Sorry about that one. I know, it's just a plan. My son went in integrated college uh, and through a natural engagement with people who were not from his community and not of his religion, he made and bonded friendships that are still there today. Waterside Protestant brought up, uh, my son was in Balmagordi, right, you name it. There was a natural connection that they made at the human level. Um, so whenever he was making judgments, it was about people and compassion and love and seeing people completely differently. And I think that that was a natural, maybe you don't have to tackle issues because they shouldn't be there if you're naturally integrating with people who are perceived as different from you. So, I mean, I feel that my son had a very good experience. My older son didn't. And it was much more difficult for his encounters, particularly, you know, during the troubles. And there's a difference between them. You know, I'm not talking about Richie there. <laughs> 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 they had a good equal romance, it was all boys still, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> I just want to thank outside of the box, just very, very quickly. Um, on the radio recently, day and daily, we get a diatribe now of how the schools are failing children. Children with disabilities, uh, children with autism, you know, on a whole spectrum where, where schools are not equipped to deal with all kinds of difference, all issues that the schools just cannot keep up with. Uh, and I think that our schools in some ways aren't fit for purpose because they're so driven towards an academia. We don't even think about apprenticeships now that used to be taught in schools way back in my day. Uh, and I remember talking to you, Dennis, like another lifetime ago about the Montessori schooling system, which is amazing because it's a whole school development. And I was in Garba there the other uh, week where they, they do forest walking and they learn a lot of their schooling is out by nature and given the importance of the climate and the climate change in the environment, there's nothing to stop people with a bit of savvy and with the mobile, you know, motivation to create a different type of schooling, a bit like the integrated education, which has got a lot of bad press, but it is toxic in some ways too. There's nothing to stop a whole plethora of people now that would start some sort of a Montessori schooling system and the Foyle River Gardens would be absolutely brilliant to bring that into the no, I wanted to add a point too. That I, think, point, I, I, think our, <laughs> I think our young people want integration as well. I'm talking post-primary. I run a post-primary schools project with the Apprentice Boys and our museum. And we have a, a questionnaire and it's a background. And a, a whole lot of, hundreds of children last year says, this doesn't represent me. I'm neither this and neither that. Is there a mixed background? And it's the young people themselves are coming forward saying, this isn't representative of us. So maybe listen to the young people. 
Yeah. You know, because they have parents of a mixed background and that should be recognized. So start there yeah. and then they'll learn it themselves, you know. That's it for our second review podcast. Um, join us the next time when we'll be reviewing our third theme that we've looked at through the Forward Together podcast. So thank you for listening and thank you to the Community Relations Council for funding our project. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.